You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Nick, how are you doing today? Doing great, Dave. How are you? Not bad. Not bad at all. Another Friday, another podcast. Here we go. We're getting up there. What is this, 25 now? Uh, 24 or 25. Mm, Enough that we've lost count. That's a good thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Interesting investing topic today. And it's based on something we get asked about quite often. And I I actually wrote this article back in 2019, the one where we're kind of going off of today. So it's a little dated in a way, but but I think still relevant to lead into some more relevant topics. We're going to talk about investing in new industries and new technology. I'm excited about this one. We've got some good examples of what to do and kind of how and why to do it. But also, like you said, as financial planners, people oftentimes make the assumption that we know everything about the stock market. And unfortunately, that's not true. As a matter of fact, I I don't know about you, Dave, I won't speak for you, but me personally, I follow very, very few individual companies and very, very few industries. So it's always interesting when somebody comes in with an idea of investing in a new industry, because chances are I've never heard of it. Or (laughs) if I have, I don't know much about it. But it's still, you know, people... I think in this day and age are intrigued by it because there's stories out there of people making a whole lot of money by making the right, the perfect investment at the perfect time. And so kind of what what prompted this uh, when I first made the notes for this story was back in the fall of 2019. So 18 months or so ago at this point. And, you know, there was there was all this buzz about Beyond Meat, Mm. the company Beyond Meat. And they were creating a meat alternative and the meat alternative industry was all brand new. And they had done their IPO a little bit before that, I want to say in the spring, but the big deal on that particular day was that they were, they were inking a contract with McDonald's. At yeah. the time. And, and so I got a couple of emails from clients that day, like, Hey, is this something we should, we should put some money into? And it was actually up about 11% that day. Mm-hmm. And I kind of fell back on my stock answers of, well, you know, the, the thing I always talk about with this, because I think it, it hits home with people, is that these new industries, it would, it would be akin to trying to pick the right computer company to invest in back in the like mid-70s to the early 80s, right? Right. And and. You know, I kind of grew up in that fate, that era in the early 80s, and I was a bit of a computer geek. I know that mm. probably shocks people, <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of my first paying gigs was helping teachers in my mom's school put their grades into their Apple IIs <laughs> when I was in like fifth or sixth grade. So, so or figuring out how to do it. And, and so it would be somewhat akin to trying to pick which computer company out of all the guys building computers in their garages in, you know, 1979, which one of those is going to become Apple and Microsoft, right? Right. Well, and it's easy to pick them now because we know them as right. household names. But back then, yeah. that was not the case by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Yeah. And, and you and I just did some math a few minutes ago. If you had invested in Apple, if you had bought 10 shares of Apple in the IPO, you would have spent $220. Yep. In 19, early 1981. And you would currently have about $182,000 worth of Apple wow. stock. Yeah. So, so you'd, you'd look like a genius, right? Absolutely. But also, 
you know, there, there's a couple of things to point out there. One is there were plenty of times along the way in the 1980s when Apple was teetering on the verge of bankruptcy mm-hmm. and it, you'd have really had to keep the faith to, yeah, to, uh, to hang on to it. And along those lines, the pile of names of companies from the late 70s and early 80s that didn't make it is immense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can go on, you can, you can go on Google or Wiki, Wikipedia actually has a list of defunct uh, United States computer technology companies from the early 80s. And it's kind of interesting because some of them actually I remember, Atari being one of them that was near sure. and dear to my heart as a, as a kid. You know, and, and some of them got bought by other companies and went through mergers. But by and large, you know, not a lot of them look like great investments, really, in hindsight. To your point, not only do you have to be smart enough to pick the right company, you also have to be stable and, and willing to stick with that company through, you know, what could is, is typically potentially there's tumultuous times. Right. So not only right. do you need to know how to or what company to identify, but also sticking with them, which I, I yeah. personally think is a little bit harder. It's easier to invest in yeah. a company than it is to ride them out when things aren't well or not sell when things are going really well and you want to, you know, maximize or, or, you know, take your profit. Right. Um, so that's a, a well, interesting dynamic to it that I think a lot of people don't really understand. Yeah. And, and so now, you know, we live in an era where we have watches on our wrists that have as much computing power as the desktops we had, uh, you know, in 1981, 82, it was not, so it's hard to remember that in, in that early phase, there was still an active debate about whether people would even want computers, Yeah, you know? And, and I remember my, my uncle was an attorney and in the mid, a couple of years later, it was a big deal when he talked about, they were going to get, he, they were being proactive and going to get, uh, computers on the desktops of everybody that worked there. That was a bit like now, you know, we don't even, we wouldn't even think about an employee not having a computer. Right. Right. Yeah. But that was, that was, you know, that was like, Whoa, you know, that's kind of a risk. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to take right. that step. Right. And, and so, you know, back to like the beyond meat example, you know, hey, we're still trying to figure out if that's even going to be a thing five years from now. And it may right. be, and it probably will be, but it, you know, what's that going to, and what will that mean for the economy and the growth prospects of those companies? Right. And, and you know, you, you just never know until, until these things develop. To your point, we're starting to see competition in that market, right? Mm-hmm. So there's Beyond Meat and Impossible and, you know, a couple of other larger grocery chains are coming up with their own brand. Um, but also, oftentimes, the industry disruptor isn't necessarily always the one that goes on to be the mammoth company. To, to that point, um, the latest news I've seen on Beyond Meat is that McDonald's has decided instead of working with them, they're going to create their own. Right. Yeah. You know, McDonald's isn't exactly an industry disruptor. Right. They, well, and, and they don't necessarily like paying, you know, normal prices for things anyway. So um, that's a whole right. other topic for a whole other day. And, yeah. Um, I, I, I just want to go to back to Apple really quick, too, because, you know, we, we think of it as a no brainer. You know, you invest in Apple. But mm-hmm. do you remember uh, Ronald Wayne at all, Dave? No, I don't remember. Ronald, Ronald Wayne. Wayne was actually one of the three founders of Apple. Okay. And he sold his shares in the very beginning for like $800, <laughs> which would now be worth like $32 billion. 
Yeah. Which is, they, they even went on to um, do articles recently where they said it would have been better off taking one of like the prototype apples because it would be worth, you know, <laughs> worth more. Well, more. He'd, probably still, he'd still be a millionaire at least. And so just goes to the point of how hard it is to identify. He was even in there. He knew both Steve Jobs and Wozniak and, and Wozniak. knew exactly what was going on, but he just decided, you know, these guys are too crazy what they're huh. doing. They're pushing the envelope too much and he got out. And so they've actually done interviews with him, interestingly enough, about, you know, how, how does it feel to be yeah. the biggest investing mistake ever? And, and, you know, one of the things he comes back to is you never know what it's going to be when you're staring at it and, you know, mm-hmm. what it could potentially be. You have an idea, but you never really know. And so right. I always found that as, as an interesting one. And so I'll share with you a couple of, of my investment blunders or or opportunities to get into a new industry, if you will. When I was a senior in college, this would have been 2004, I think. There was a a lady that came in who worked for one of the broker dealers, actually, and she was telling us about the careers in the industry and, and was talking about it. And somebody asked her what stocks she liked. And and so she actually gave us one that she she couldn't technically recommend because it was under $10 a share and it was uh serious radio. Oh yeah. Remember serious. And that was the big thing, right? Yeah. They were changing the world of radio yeah. and eventually, you know, I think it was like $3 a share back then. And yeah. it went up to like 10 at one point. And I think it's still hovering around that even after the merger, it just never really took mm-hmm. off. And so that's mm-hmm. one of those, you know, everybody thought this that's is the future. Example. And it wasn't necessarily to be, um, yeah, you know, the that, internet and streaming and podcasting kind of came in and crushed yeah. it to some degree. I'm glad you brought that up because I remember I was, I was working at national city at the time. And I remember people coming in and asking about serious stock, you yeah. know, so, so th- these conversations have been ongoing for years, right? Right. And, and, you know, so, it was one of those that people thought really would have, you know, mm-hmm. taken off and it, it um, didn't. And I'm sure there's a lot more of those than there are of, Apples or you know, Amazons or the success stories. Do you remember? Do you remember Palm? I do not. Palm Palm Pilots. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Before before uh, before uh, smartphones were a thing, there were PDAs, personal uh, digital assistants. Yeah, I, I had a Palm Pilot. I loved it. But that's not, I think they got bought by 3Com eventually. But it was okay. pennies on the dollar compared to what they thought the stock was worth a couple times. I mean, we always we always come at at this from the standpoint of the the stock price on any given day pretty much tells you everybody's some consensus idea of what that stock is worth, right? Right. And you know, when we're talking about big companies, General Electric, Procter and Gamble, you know, the big Fortune 500, there's lots of information, right? Mm-hmm. And so those prices are a pretty accurate reflection of what everybody expects those companies to do. And it's no different with these fledgling companies. That's everybody's, you know, if if Beyond Meat is trading at $100 a share, it's because that's what there's people that think it's worth more than that and they're buying it. And people that think it's worth less than that and they're selling it. And always remember for every buyer, there's got to be a seller. Right. And and so the thing is, so the, the price is still, you know, that that some consensus is just a lot less information available. Mm-hmm. a lot more unknowns. And so that price is going to be more volatile and volatility can be good like Apple and volatility can be bad like Palm or Sirius. It, it's just that until these industries get some legs under them, there's really no, no real good way to judge their value and their impact on the economy. And that's what investing is. It's about trying to find 
value that's going to continue to grow consistently over time. Otherwise, it's speculation. I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody that keeps it in perspective, you know, separates out what they want to do for kind of like a fun investment or a speculation play versus their investment funds for their retirement. No different than I don't really have a problem with someone that can afford a couple dollars a week buying lottery tickets. Right. But it's, it's, or, or going to the, you know, the casino and, and having a good time with a little bit of their money, but you've got to recognize it for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that goes to the point of risk versus reward, right? The only mm-hmm. way to, you know, if you are in order to get that kind of growth, like we saw in Apple, there's got to be a lot of risk <laughs> towards that towards in the beginning phases when they're, you know, you don't know what direction they're going to go. You know, are they going to go up? Are they going to go to be the next Atari? You, there's no way to know. And that's where the risk comes in. Um, and so that's where, to your point, it's not a great long-term investment retirement type strategy. It's a good fun thing to do, um, mm-hmm. with, a, a, with a, you know, some money that you don't mind actually losing at some point, you know, that's great. I, we encourage people to do that on a limited basis. You know, there's much worse vices out there that you could spend right. <laughs> money on right. than, than trying to pick the, you know, the next Apple, uh, but certainly within reason and making sure right. you're putting limits on that and you understand how that works and how it plays into the big picture. Well, and another thing to keep in mind too is nowadays there are very good ways to invest in sectors mm-hmm. and there weren't necessarily good ways to do that in the you know late 70s, early 80s. Very true. But you know, it's one thing to bet on an individual company. It's another to bet on a group of companies you know, with a technology that, and it's not that it's still speculative, it's still risky. I don't mean to, I don't mean mm-hmm. to, to downplay that, but you are taking some of that individual company risk out of it. Like there's a lot of exchange traded funds that invest in, you know, new green energy technologies or, yep. you know, solar and, and wind and um, different small slices of the technology, mm-hmm. technology sector. So yeah, definitely another way to to look at getting into an industry without trying to identify the winner. I'll give you one other example that I had uh, earlier on in my career of kind of investing into new industries. And, and this really isn't necessarily an industry at all, but one that our listeners might be aware of, and that's Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So um, early on, I actually had a student from MSU who um, I believe was from the UK, and he came in and was asking me about Bitcoin, this Bitcoin digital yep. currency. And I looked at him and I had no clue what he was talking about. He was <laughs> just telling me a story about how someone got a hold of a couple shares and forgot about them. And by the time he got back to them, they were worth like 20 million or something <laughs> crazy. And I was looking at him like, all right. <laughs> I'm not not sure this guy really knows what he's talking about. So I looked into it a little bit more and I actually got to a point once in my life where I was just joking around with my buddies and I was going to buy a Bitcoin. And I think it was like $650 for one Bitcoin. I was like, you know, that just seems like a lot. And I don't want to buy like a half a Bitcoin. I don't even know if I can Mm -hmm. buy a half a Bitcoin. So I ended up not doing it. Well, long story short, um, in the Wall Street Journal the other day, Bitcoin hit 50,000. So my my $650 would have been worth 50,000 right now if I had listened to this uh, MSU student. But what I remind myself in that discussion is there 
there's absolutely no way that I would have actually wrote it out to 50,000 because Bitcoin, right. I don't talk about volatility. They've had right. a lot of it. Um, right. So, but it's right. just one of those, you know, those new industry type things where, and there's several cryptocurrencies in there in, in the market well, now. And I'm not entirely sure what any of them actually do um, or if anybody actually uses them other than to speculate right. on the price of them. And so it's one of those, you know, <laughs> if you could identify the right, if Bitcoin or Dogecoin or whatever is the next or the one that's actually going to hit and land and be useful to people. You could right. potentially make a lot of money, but the chances of you being able to do that, you, you're probably better off playing the lottery to some degree. Right, and hope that the federal government doesn't uh, outlaw them as soon as right. they yeah. become, you know, a real... Com- the, the Federal Reserve does not like competition. And, right. you know, it's funny. Uh, once again, we're going to end up sounding like uh, stodgy old guys when we talk about this stuff, you know, with no imagination. But to those people, I'd like to point out, you're actually listening to us on a podcast. So how yeah. stodgy and old can we be, right? <laughs> but but uh, on the other hand, yeah, um, you know, and Bitcoin's a good example of the the like the technology versus the individual investment too, because you know I have no doubt that blockchain as a technology, the technology that underlies Bitcoin, mm. is probably going to be much more revolutionary than we even understand right now. Oh, absolutely. But whether you know whether buying Bitcoin is the right way to to go with that, you know, the jury's still out. We will see. Yeah, I, I've that that same feeling where Bitcoin seems like it is kind of one of those things that we will come to look back on as we got this great technology from it, but it didn't turn out to be all that useful. And I could be completely wrong about Bitcoin and digital <laughs> currency, but I do agree with you where the underlying technology has a lot more potential, even in our industry, mm-hmm. has a lot more potential than maybe what we're seeing in Bitcoin. Right, for cyber technology uses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next, like, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, it could be, to me, that has the most potential to be revolutionary in a way that we haven't seen since the late 70s with the computer industry. And I think we're just now figuring it out. And I know just enough about blockchain to spell it, but probably not enough to explain it any better than that. So (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But we will see where that leads. And uh, the other one that comes up quite often right now with younger uh, clients and folks that we talk to is cannabis stocks and cannabis companies, because that's that's the, the fledgling darling of the investment world right now. Yeah, lots of um, lots of companies right now, young industry, young companies making a lot of money. And so I think that grabs a lot of attention as more and more states are opening up the restrictions on cannabis. You know, there's a lot of money flooding into that industry. And, and just right. like the computer industry, it's this kind of unknown of, first off, is it going to be legal in the United States at the federal level? And second off, well, how does that play into, you know, which one of these many, many companies are going to be able to take advantage of that scale of what an Apple or Amazon or, you know, a company would be able to do in order to take that kind of market share where you would make those kind of returns that we're talking about. Right, right. And, um, you know, we always hate to make predictions, but my guess with that situation is, if the uh, legal side of it gets sorted out, all of a sudden you'll see 
Altria and British Tobacco come in and say, okay, we want to be part of this business now. And we're just going to buy this company and that company. And the rest of you are just going to all get quashed like, like bugs. Yeah. And, and, and so you'll end up in a situation where one or two of, well, one or two, maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but a handful of these companies thrive not because they exist on their own, but because they get scooped up by the big guys that already know how to distribute right. uh, a similar a similar product anyway. Mm-hmm. And and you know maybe I'm wrong on that, but that would be my guess is that uh, you're going to end up with a couple of big players owned by the biggest players, and uh, the rest will go by the wayside. And that's really the way in any industry evolves. Look at the automobile industry over the last uh, 110 years, 20 years. Look at, uh, you know, we joke that uh, back in 1910, everybody was building a car in their garage the way in Cal- in Detroit and the way in 1975, everybody was building a computer in their garage in uh, Palo Alto in uh, Austin, Texas. So, you know, and, and, you know, in the 1920s, there were 30 or 40 different national automobile brands. And, you know, 10 years later, you know, coming out of World War II, there were a handful and they're all owned right. by two companies, three companies by then. Yeah. Pretty common thing. And I, and I would agree with your sentiment that, you know, I I would have to think that Altria and and British tobacco are kind of licking their chops for this to (laughs) come to fruition so they can legally, you know, get in and do the playing field and kind of take over, if you will. And and they have the size and scale, like we talked about to really uh, push the uh, industry. Impetus to uh, find something new to do. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so we'll see how it plays out. I don't know, uh, uh, you know, there's certainly some excitement and fun when you're talking about industries and particular stocks. But at the end of the day, you know, we've said this a million times already on on, on this broadcast that, uh, you know, boring is usually the best when it comes to your retirement finances and your uh, long-term outlook. That's right. You know, there's no real shortcuts that make sense. Um, you know, when, when you think about how to, you know, invest and be a long-term investor and be successful in the long-term way, the boring, methodical, you know, not flashy, not trying to pick the next best thing and get rich quick is usually the way that most people are successful. You're always going to hear stories about the people that have done it the other way and have been very successful doing it. But what you never hear is the hundreds of people that tried to do it that way and fell flat on their face. I think that winds it up for today. Yeah. Great topic. Fun topic. Yeah, and, and you know, good. as always, if you have questions on things or, or got an industry that you want our opinion on, certainly reach out to us. We'd love to uh, give you our, our amateur opinion when it comes to stock <laughs> picking and industries. Um, but you know, we like talking about this stuff. So for for sure, shoot that out to us. And, yeah. you know, if you have questions on how to be boring and methodical, you know, we love doing <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah, we're good at that. All right. I will uh, talk to you later, Nick. Thanks. Sounds great. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com. And contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.